In 2003, Tony Romo went undrafted, signed as a free agent with the Cowboys, and rode the bench for three years. How did that impact you? I can remember being in the back of wondering if it was ever going to happen, ever have a chance even to happen. But in 2006, his fate would change. I think uh, our head coach Parcells says, you ready to go today? And I was like, yeah, I'm, re I'm ready. And he's like, I'm serious. Are you ready? Romo talks about finally getting his chance at quarterback and the challenges that came with it. It's a disappointing feeling for not just yourself, but everybody who works so hard. Plus, he shares the side of his personality most never see. He like verbally starts to like attack me. I hope you're happy. This is what it takes to win. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. So I was going to start with talking a little golf, then take you back to some of the days growing up and kind of go from there. Tell me about the experiences of trying to qualify for the U.S. Open. Well, for me, um, I enjoy competition. I enjoy competing. Uh, I enjoy challenges. So f from my perspective, anytime uh, there's a great challenge ahead, it's, uh, it's enjoyable and gets my juices flowing in a sense. And that's with anything. So a U.S. Open trying to qualify um, kind of provides me with that ability to, to feel like I'm doing something that I um, probably am not able to obtain per se because of the time and effort commitment that I really can't give to golf. But saying that, uh, it's fun to go out and hope that day, you know, and try and grind with uh, your mental capacity to try and make a, you know, a good swing or put up a good score and, and try and get through. And that's just enjoyable for me to do that. How was playing with Tiger Woods? Tiger's great. You know, I think for me, you can, uh, I like playing with anybody who's great at what they do in some ways. I think um, it's just neat to know that when you're playing with them, you're basically playing with maybe the best who's ever done that, whatever it is that he, he does. And, and it's not only playing golf with people. I mean, you like reading like autobiographies about great people too, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, I, uh, I read a lot and I really enjoy the stories about A, what it took for them to get where they're at, B, what it takes to stay there. Um, I think you're always, for me, I'm always kind of trying to learn. For me, I guess when you, I succeed in some ways because I've failed. And when I say that, it's all these things that happen that almost are a negative at the time, you can use as a tool to learn how to get better. And I love, the more I read and the more I look at stuff, everyone has, goes through that, the roads that are tough times and emotional up and downs and everything. But the great ones keep going and they keep learning from it and they just figure out a way to get better and use those as a tool to, to become as great as they can be. And um, I love reading about it. I, I enjoy finding new ways to mentally get stronger, tougher, and um, be better at what you do at your craft. So I think, um, you know, all that stuff just, enhances it. I spoke to your father and he said, remove football. He believes without a doubt, you definitely could be a professional golfer. <laughs> your thoughts? Well, I think uh, that was nice. Dad's never actually, he always, he always uh, minimizes or downplays. Really? He's always like, ah, oh, we gotta work on your golf swing. It's just not very good. <laughs> and you guys have a course now too. Yeah, dad got involved in a course Meadowbrook Country Club up there, which is, you know, one that was, we were younger, was. He always kind of, I didn't play it much just because he was a country club and we couldn't afford it. But, um, you know, it's a great course. We've got a bunch of great people running it now and stuff. So I think it's got a great base and, 
I think it'll be fun for dad and the guys up there. So you're saying you agree with your father though that you'd be a professional? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think uh, to be one of the guys who play for a living, they're exceptional and they're, uh, they're extremely talented and there's a reason why they make money doing it. I would, I would enjoy playing, uh, you know, uh, I enjoy playing right now when I get a chance to play the amateur golf, you know, or Lake Tahoe and stuff. And for me, that's, that's an enjoyable experience. Eight years old, uh, Christmas morning, you get your first set of clubs. Take it from there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, we're up in Wisconsin, so it's, uh, you know, obviously a little cold out or whatever, but I get, I get some clubs. And being that I thought I was real bright at the time, we have this big, like, lot that's, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe 60 yards in length. So right outside of the house. So I go out there and I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, hit a driver, you know, at eight years old. But I'm like, if I go put it in my lot, I'll be aiming toward the neighbor's house. So I'm like, that's not smart. What I'll do is I'll go to the neighbor's yard. It was a smart decision. Well, I mean, I thought it was right. The time. right. And I'll put, uh, I'll put a tee in the ground and I'll hit it back into that yard. You know, if I hit it 80 yards or something, I got the extra 30 yards from being in their yard. It'll just be in, our, in that empty <laughs> lot. So I hit it from the neighbor's front yard and it hits the curb toward our house, comes shooting right back at me, you know, just dead square. And so I have to like get out of the way and goes right through the neighbor's window. Um, they're literally the living room window that you would have your Christmas tree up, the whole deal. You know, nine o'clock in the morning, boom, smashes the whole deal. And so my dad's over there on Christmas morning and he's, uh, he's fixing a window and everything. So that was my first golf shot, I think. You've had your fair share of fun, gotten into a little trouble over the years, played pranks on people and whatnot. I, I want to uh, run through just a couple stories, make mention of them, and then have yeah. you take it from there. In high school, how about the prank you played on your best friend, Nick, with the swim trunks? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we'd go, it was the summer, and uh, we'd go left and, you know, for football, I want to say at the time, and we'd be done at like noon, and be like, well, let's go to the lake. So we go to the lake, and one day he comes over, and uh, he's like, hey, uh, I didn't bring any trunks today or whatever. I was like, ah, oh, it's no problem. I got some. So I go, and there's this, like, white umbros that you'd wear for soccer or whatever. I was like, no problem. So he wears them, and so I, we're out there swimming, and I come running out of the water before him. And I'm like, come on, let's go. And he's just like, already? I was like, yeah, come on. So he gets out of the water, and you could just see right through his white umbros. <laughs> And I was just like, look, everybody, this guy is wearing white shorts, you know, and he just like got all nervous. And, and, but you knew in advance. I knew that he was, uh, was going to be walking out basically naked. So <laughs> it was great, though. He's never lived that one down. <laughs> On the phone when I'm talking to him, he, he made the point of saying, even though this is June, it was still really cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a Costanza line with it. Exactly, exactly. But in fairness, you both had fun getting other people in. Oh, yeah. He, uh, I don't think that he's that. a saint now. He did it to another one of our buddies the next time someone else came over. Oh, we're fine. Yeah, I got the shorts. And he looks at me. and So he's, uh, he's a good friend. You kind of got Nick in a similar way. Uh, you were speaking at a fundraiser when you were in the NFL and you invited him to come, told him it was casual attire. Yeah, yeah, no, Nick, uh, Nick, for, no one really, uh, for those of you who don't know Nick, he's, he's six seven, so he stands out like a sore thumb already. You know, he looks like uh, the guy in Happy Gilmore who says, I'll meet you in the parking lot. You know, it has like a uh, gun, uh, what you call it, uh, nail in his helmet or head. 
and that, local, that's kind of like Nick. local basketball coach one yes, of the high exactly. schools you guys grew up together we grew up together and he uh so we we'd attend functions and stuff from time to time he'd come with and it's like hey you got to come with this thing you know i need someone to be with me just a wingman kind of deal he's like all right he's like what do you wear so I'm wearing basically what you're wearing, you know, but I don't have the coat on yet. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm getting presented with something, but it's literally like people are just showing up like a lunchtime affair kind of thing. He'll just be in and out, nothing really. And so he's like, what about like a, just a pole? I was like, yeah, just a pole is fine, you know? So he wears like a green, kind of older, <laughs> you're awful. you know, and I'm in like literally suit and tie and everybody there is in a suit and tie. Like a black tie. Or black, right? Yeah, it's a black tie affair basically. And um, so Nick comes in and now he already sticks out because he's 6'7". So he's already the tallest one. He's looking at everybody. And he sits right at the main table, you know, the table, the whole deal. And he looks over at me and he's just so mad. He literally wouldn't talk to me the entire time. He was so, so mad at me. But I tried to make a joke of it when I got stood up to get something. The order, I was like, I just want to say thanks to everybody here. And um, a lot of people supported me. Nick, actually my friend Nick right here. Nick, we stand up. You know, you've uh, you've been a real big supporter of the Chinese just sticking on. He's even more mad now that I did that. Were there that. like a couple thousand people? Oh, there? yeah, there was a lot. You know, it's one of those things where people pay $1,000 to yeah. attend and the whole deal. And Nick shows up and he's got his jeans and sandals and his little green polo, you know, uh, with a little collar on it and everything. So that was probably the best joke I've played on him, actually. How about Mike from Milwaukee with the NCAA tournament bracket? <laughs> Yeah, I think in, uh, I don't even know, eighth grade maybe, not, eh, probably freshman year or something, we, uh, we had an NCAA tournament deal, and <laughs> I remember we got like five or ten of us in it, and everyone puts in like 20 bucks, and there's updated, you know, s scoring that uh, basically everyone gets a copy of each person's deal. Well, Nick was winning, so he thought he was winning the pool. But I'd already spent the money that <laughs> Nick had given me at the time. So I was like, well, Nick can't win. I don't know what happens here, but Nick definitely can't win. So I was like, <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm winning. It's, we're into the final four. And I'm like, well, actually, Mike, you know, we live in Burlington. I'm like, Mike from Milwaukee's winning. And he's like, who's Mike from Milwaukee? You know, we don't have cars. We haven't gone more than 10 minutes away from Burlington. This place is 45 minutes. He's like, oh, he's, he's a buddy of one of the other guys who's a friend of a friend or something. You know, and he's just like, what? How many points ahead is he? You know, he was naive enough to believe it at the time. And I'm like, he just got you by a point, but you need to win both games. So he wins both games somehow, you know, to finish the deal. He's like, well, I won. I was like, ah, I was wrong. Mike had both, both the same game, so he barely beat you. So he never lets me live that one down. In college, uh, your floor mate, Tommy, tell about the national title game. <laughs> you guys college were playing football. in the college football video game. Yeah, that's... Uh, we would always have, Tom and me got real close because we were both very competitive individuals and we enjoyed winning, but it was, we'd always end up somehow meeting in the national championship game for like PlayStation. We'd play seasons, everyone would have to come over to his apartment and play their game against the computer. And if you won and you were 11 and 0, you went to the national title game. And so if there's four or five of us. He was beating you up pretty good before this, right? I oh, mean, before this season. Before that one, yeah, yeah. The first, the first time, I'd never even played it before. So. Tom won like 50 straight games. He was great at the game. Button pushing was really fast, you know, could change and get the whole deal. Slide the line, all this crazy stuff that was exotic at the time. And uh, I can remember finally, I didn't have to play him in the regular season though, so I made the national championship game and I was Wisconsin. So I remember 
getting ready and it's like the next day we were going to have, and it was silly because we would have six or seven people who would come in, everyone who's in the league would come and watch the guy who's making a run at the National So some guy would send out emails and be like, tomorrow in the big game, blah, 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 his favorite. You know, and I look back, it's... What it's, else do you do in college? Uh, <laughs> that's exactly. And um, I love telling this story. I hope Tom sees this. <laughs> but the, uh, the night before, I was like, I just can't, you know, physically, I couldn't just show up and beat him. I knew that was going to happen. So I, what I had was I brought a buddy in. I said, Tom loves these four plays. I need you to run these four plays over and over and over again. And I just <laughs> went through and, and I figured out which defense versus what formation gave me the best chance to slow down each play. How long did you spend doing this? Oh, probably all night. I mean, <laughs> if we were playing at 1 o'clock in the afternoon the next day, I probably started this process at 9 and went to bed at 4 or 5. You know, it was that <laughs> important to beat Tom with that. Because Tom had beaten me, but every time he beat me, it was just like in a play, for, play game. And this was the only time we'd ever played in the national championship. So all the other ones no one really cared about. But everyone was gonna know who won this league. It was like the first time we were in like a league or whatever. So I did that, and then I, I also know what defense, and the defense was the hard part because, you know, he really did a great job of. <laughs> Sounds so <laughs> ridiculous. It was really incredible. So I scripted the plays. I ended up coming up with Eddie. Okay, on first and ten, almost like they do, you know, now in the NFL. But at the time, that was silly. I'd be like, here are the three plays I can run versus him versus what he runs on first and 10. Second and medium, second and seven to 10, here's what I would do. Third and long, I'm not gonna take any chances, blah, blah, blah. So the game starts, Tom's late by five minutes, but he's cocky, you know, he's the big winner, blah, blah, blah. And he shows up and we start playing and all of a sudden his like first play, he's used to just bam, 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 touchdown. Run, da, da, da. All of a sudden, like, he goes, he has to punt. Now he hasn't punted him all, but he punts, boom. I go in, score like four plays later, and he gets fired up now. Then the next series, bam, same thing happens again. And now he's like yelling at the game. Like the game is doing something crazy wrong. Did he see your notebook of stuff? Or did well, he then he saw my notebook, okay. yeah, about halfway through. And then he's like, he, he like verbally starts to like attack me to like <laughs> make himself feel better. He'd be like, I hope you're happy. This is what it takes to win, huh? You had to, you had to physically go, and you, yeah, like you're, you're not the better player. See, you have to take so much time, blah, blah, blah. And I was just, by the end of it, he quits in the middle of the third quarter, throws his controller. Me and the other guys just started laughing as, we, you don't want to laugh while he's in there, but as soon as he leaves, everyone just busts up. And uh, ever since then, we had a great rivalry in the game, but that was, I've never probably taken quite so much time or effort into uh, one specific video game, I can tell you. Probably a good But it was definitely the one that lives on. Did, did you win anything for that, or just the warm feeling of self-satisfaction? Yeah, it was, it, I won the, uh, my ego got a boost, and, and more importantly, the self-confidence just went up a whole nother level. I mean, from that point on, I was tough to beat. So December 95, a Burlington High School boys basketball team is mm -hmm. getting ready to head out on a road trip to East Troy. You play for the uh, Burlington team. What do you recall? Well, I think uh, if I remember, my dad's late to drive me to uh, the high school to take the team bus to go play basketball. And, you know, at, at that age, it's everything. I mean, missing a game would be, like, devastating. Um, so I just get on a bike, and, I mean, it's snow and, and it's like five miles or something but in that snow or whatever it's uh it's a little trick and it's below zero too. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's it's zero degrees out and everything but i get on my bike and start ride, riding to the uh uh high school and you know i'm i'm late i can't get there in time my dad ends up picking me up just because i couldn't 
uh, get to the high school in time for the bus left. So the bus leaves and then he takes me to the game and coach was nice enough to <laughs> see the effort I put in to try and get to the bus. So he let me play that night. But, right. I mean, there's snow on the ground. It's like yeah. well below zero. And yeah, it was, uh, there was kind of a rule that you had to ride the bus though to get and play in the game, I think. But I think you overlooked that one. <laughs> Why did you love basketball so much more than all the other sports at the time? I started playing basketball when I was really young and I just had a passion. If you um, gave me a ball and I would go shovel a spot in the driveway and I'd be out there for three hours in the winter just because it was enjoyable. I was passionate about doing it. I don't know why. I just uh, really enjoyed it and um, I didn't need much else, you know, at the time and um, to make uh, me enjoy hours, you know, upon end. And um, I just, I just got, I think it was a combination of me really enjoying being able to do it by myself. You just need a ball and a hoop. You don't need anybody else. Um, a lot of other sports you need other people, I think, sometimes to get, to get better. And uh, I think I took to that when I was a young age. And I really, all the way up until really late in my high school career, thought I was still going to play basketball in college. You know, I, uh, even when I was getting recruited for football, um, even right before, I would say, a couple months before I signed to play football in college, I still thought I was probably playing basketball. It was crazy. And we were talking about it briefly before the interview. I think your senior season in high school, you averaged like 24 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Uh, you and the NBA's Karam Butler were co-players of the year in the conference at uh, one season. So why then ultimately do you decide to pursue football instead? Well, I like to be... Uh, I'm very realistic with myself upon why, I, and it's helped me to improve each year uh, at football, uh, in college to the NFL. Um, but even then you recognized? Yeah, I would say that I just understood that there will be a ceiling in basketball. Um, and I had, I had not yet put any effort really into football. At that point in my career, it was basically to show up and play. And I had mild success enough to where I could gain uh, a half scholarship to a Division One AA program. And I just felt like, boy, I'd like, I knew where the ceiling could probably end up being, at least I thought I did at that age with basketball. So um, I didn't know where it could be with football. And I didn't know if I was gonna be good or average or whatever, but I, I wanted to kind of give myself an opportunity to see how good I could be at that. And when I went to college, I honestly was going to um, try and play both, but you know, I was luckily now at the time, um, now when I look back, I'm glad I obviously made the right decision. I just wanted to pl compete and play, just be in games all the time. And uh, that's my personality in some ways is to, to compete and just try and win all the time. And it's interesting you say there was a ceiling for you in basketball when here you were playing basketball all the time, weren't really putting in the same effort into football up until that point. And I mean, I think your senior year of high school, you were an all-state quarterback, yet you'd never played a down of organized football preceding, I think, your junior year. Okay. So why did it come so easy to you, do you think? <laughs> it's crazy. It didn't feel easy. I just... Uh... I mean, but then did it? I mean, going back to high school? No, I mean, I had some pretty good players around me, you know, in high school, too. I had a, a couple good receivers that really, you know, were, were guys who could go up and get the ball in traffic and stuff, and, and some good coaches who put us, allowed me to move around as a quarterback and stuff like that. If I'd have been in a different system or a different place, it would have been a little bit more difficult. But I just think uh, football, my 
um, instincts kind of took over, you know, and uh, you know, I was able to use that basketball, you know, I guess God-given gift to be able to see things quickly and react quickly, you know, that I was given, you know, from the Lord, I think that's just, um, that was given. So I was able to use that on the, on the football field. Now, the fundamentally, <laughs> which I had to work at, you know, to get better, I was really raw and just, uh, you know, if I had to throw it from here 20 yards over there, it would have been touch and go there at that age, I can tell you that. <laughs> in, in high school? Oh, yeah, for sure. Even in college for a lot of the years. You know, I, I would, I progressed, you know, a lot. I mean, I, I didn't have a ball trying to figure out how to throw a spiral at age eight. You know, I wasn't playing anything. I mean, picking up a ball, trying to throw like a baseball at age 18, basically still. At one point, I don't think you thought you were going to be able to make the NFL. I know your dad definitely had <laughs> doubts about whether or not you'd be able to make it. You end up obviously signing as a free agent with the Dallas Cowboys, but you went undrafted. So when that draft comes and goes, what's the state of mind immediately following that? Well, you're disappointed at first, but a lot of that's your own. When I look back, is another uh, lesson really to teach yourself is I knew in my heart that other people could throw the ball better than me. And that's why I worked so hard in college and once I've gotten to the NFL because I knew that you know if you stacked me up against uh, at the time you know it was Carson Palmer, Rex Grossman, Byron Leftwich, um, you know Chris Sims, these guys if you if you put us next to each other and these are the guys in the same draft I was like they would out throw me over and over again. So knowing that, I, had, I felt like I had to make up all that time I lost from fourth grade to 12th grade, if that makes sense. And, and so that's why I would throw 320 of the 365 days a year. Um, you know, literally I would, I would uh, have two days with myself sometimes about throwing, you know, go out there at 10 o'clock in the morning and then be back out there at six at night. And, my arm would be dog tired, but I would just keep throwing and just cause trying to find something that would be the magical potion to why you can throw a football grade every time anywhere on the field. I just always have that fight or that will to think that I need to be better and that there is the ability to get better. And, you know, I'm talking just the physical aspect of being good at what you do where you can say, all right, there's a leaf over there and it's 30 yards away and I could feel comfortable right now hitting that leaf. You know, just recently I would feel like to that point. And now you'd be able to use all your, your tools, your uh, instincts, your footwork, all these things now can come together from that. But as long as you couldn't do that, you're always gonna fight that. And you could only be so good then, I guess. So I always had to drive to get to that point. I interviewed Aaron Rodgers for an episode of the series as well. And both of you had to ride the bench for a few years prior to getting the starting nod. How did that impact you? Well, I think it's like anything. It's like going undrafted. It's like going to a small college. It just makes you um, understand what it takes and how hard you have to work to get something. And um, when I look back, at no point has anything ever been like given to me or it's never been like, oh, you're the number one guy and we're all riding you. It's never, it's never really been like that. And so I've always had to overcome obstacles or things in your way to, to get to... Uh, where you want to be and I think um, that was the same way I, mean, I can remember being the backup wondering if it was ever going to happen ever have a chance even to happen not really? necessarily that, yeah I mean you see other people like I swear nobody on our team ever got hurt it was crazy no quarterback ever went down for our team 
and not that you ever wish it because I, I loved you know half the quarterbacks that we had were great guys and you know I really learned a and lot from some of them. Quite a slew of them. Yeah, we did. Have, right. We did have a bunch of guys. I think we went through. I don't even know the number, probably eight or ten in three and a half years or four years. It's crazy. But um, how do you think you would have played had you gotten that starting nod immediately upon signing with the team? Oh, I'd have been really raw. I'd have shown flashes of good stuff and flashes of just terrible. Um, like I said, I would have, I'd have hit five guys in a row and done something really great, and then I would have missed the guy who was wide open mm-hmm. in the flat, eight yards away. You know, it was just that would have been me at a young age. So. I don't know. So by the time you did get the starting nod, you're in your fourth year with the Cowboys. You were the ninth starting quarterback since Troy Aikman retired in 2000. It's uh, Monday, October the 23rd, 2006, Monday night football game against the Giants, Texas Stadium, halftime. Your quarterback's coach, Chris Palmer, comes in and says, Romo, you're in. What's going through your mind? Well, actually, I have to get back to that morning when uh, I'm heading to the stadium. I think uh, our head coach, Parcells, um, says, you ready to go today? And he would say it on the walkout a lot of the time from the hotel. And I was like, yeah, I'm, re- I'm ready. And he's like, I'm serious. Are you ready? And that was different. That was the first inclination, like, whoa. You know, he's never said that to me a second time. So, so you could tell something was... I could tell it was in his brain that he okay. thought if we... If he had, I think in some ways, had come to the... Um, understanding that he, if he if we were struggling that he was going to make a change or he felt like he was going to at some point so that kind of got me a little juices were flowing and everything and and um, you know I played a pretty good preseason game or two and so I felt you know somewhat comfortable but I mean it was like I was moving like a thousand miles an hour a minute I mean it was crazy just the adrenaline the excitement was uh I don't know that anything will ever rival that. I, I can't even imagine. Even you know, hopefully I'll get to play in Super Bowl and hopefully a few of them and win some. And but I can't imagine anything like the excitement. That, I mean, literally, it feels like that was 10 years in the making is what it felt like at the time to get this opportunity here. And then you also feel like better play well. You know that kind of a thing where this is this is your opportunity. You know. Um, now I did end up starting. I. I I had two touchdowns, like three interceptions, all in one half. So it was kind of just, like I said, just up and down. But uh, Parcells then comes in and decides to start me for the next week, which was up in the air for a couple of days there. And uh, You go from a Monday night football game to a Sunday night Sunday football night. game. Yeah, exactly. So, right. Same exposure. <laughs> and uh, I remember now going in to it, being like, okay, you get the whole week, the whole thing. But... Right before the game, I got pretty calm because I was like, you know, either I'm good enough to do this or I'm not. And if I'm just not good enough to play quarterback at this level and be good, then, I mean, I worked as hard as I possibly could, you know, to be in this position. You know, I don't know. I Like, literally at the time, I was like, I'm not sure how good I am. I kind of wanted to find out like everybody else. I'd never really had the opportunity to try. So I was anxious to kind of see. But then uh, we ended up going out there and beating Carolina pretty good in that game, and I played all right and felt pretty comfortable. And there was just a calmness about it, you know, that made me feel very at ease that, um, you know, all the time and effort and work and everything had kind of built to this crescendo in some ways at, at that point in my career. And um, it, was, it was a great feeling. It really was. 
that 2007 playoff loss to the Seahawks. You at the time were holding the ball for uh, the field goal kicker because you were a backup prior to that. And uh, Cowboys just needed the field goal with the time ticking down Mm -hmm. to essentially win the game and you end up botching it. After the game, you know, you had tears in your eyes. You said you don't remember ever feeling so low. What was that feeling? It's a disappointing feeling for not just yourself, but everybody who worked so hard. You know, I was disappointed that I let down all the guys in the team, uh, the coach, and um, you know that you were in a position to help your team win, and you and you didn't do it. And um, yeah, in some ways it taught me a lesson. You know, I was dedicating so much to you know playing quarterback. It's it's obviously an important part of the game, and I just. Uh, needed to, to do more in that perspective. So you can't skate on the, the little things. And you know, it's just another teaching tool that you can use in, in other areas. Now, in fairness, absent you, the Cowboys would have never been in that place to begin with. Um, the, like two weeks after that game, I understand you basically were laying around on the couch. <laughs> Why do so? Well, it's just hard when the season ends. You know, it really, at the end of every season, it kind of feels like that. Just. I mean, but were you kind of wallowing in self-pity, you know? Yeah, I mean, you just, you put so much time and effort into trying to win the Super Bowl each year that when it ends, it's just, you know, it's like you go from 24-7, then all of a sudden it's like, it's over. Now you have nothing. There's nothing planned. There's nothing going on. There's nothing. And you're just like, all you have is you with your thoughts about what you could have done different to help the team win and, and move on. And... So those are those are the, always the week or two after a season ends. It's very difficult, just from that perspective. And you know, then you got to get back into that mode of okay, how do I get better? How do I improve as a as a quarterback and as a player to to help this team? So we go further next year. Now a lot of it's out of your control. I mean, there's so many moving parts and people that are involved that you need help. You know, all over the place. But um, when you get help, you want to make sure that when you you have a defense and you have a good old line and you have you know playmakers when you do get that you want to make sure that you're as skilled in playing at the highest level that you've ever been playing at so that when it comes and your team has that chance to win that you do and you know that's what I'm building for and speaking about getting better it was interesting I was speaking to uh, your offensive coordinator at Eastern Illinois or who held that title then coach Whitkey uh, and, and he was saying when you first came to the school, you really didn't know how to practice. You really didn't know how to compete in practice mm-hmm. to make yourself a better player. How did that change? Well, I just didn't know how to get better at football. I mean, for me, um, I just wanted to play. Like in high school, like I said, I, was just, I would just play in the games. And uh, it wasn't like basketball where I took a ball out to the backyard and dribbled for hours and shot and just did all these different, I mean, I didn't know how to do that. And after about a year, Roy was really instrumental in helping shape me to understand that to improve, you gotta, you know, take it serious every day. It's not just at a game that's serious, it's, it's practice. And, uh, and then I kinda, as the years went on, kinda took that a step or two further and decided not only is it at practice, but there are plenty of other times in the day that you can treat them as important as a game. You know, and it seems silly, but you know, a couch, you could be six yards away and I could throw the ball into a couch and I would do that for hours at night and 
just feeling the way it would release off my hand, you know, in different ways and different motion. Uh, just, okay, now I'm going to feel only left shoulder and feel, now I'm going to tie a band around my arm and keep it tighter. And um, these were all things that I think helped progress me to improve over the years. Whitkey even remembers uh, one day you coming to practice and uh, saying, hey coach, watch me closely today because I guess you moved your finger over one lace in hopes of trying to make a tighter spiral. Uh, so he, he was talking about that trial and error process you go through as well. But uh, your dad uh, has a crooked pinky, a fat middle <laughs> finger uh, from all the years of playing catch with you. Uh, before you even became the Cowboys starter, uh, one of the assistant coaches, David Lee, I guess, broke yeah. blood vessels in his <laughs> hand from throwing with you so much. Whitkey told me, you have to ask Tony this question, where the origin of that attitude, that work ethic comes from? Well, I would say I really, like I said, love getting better. And, uh, but to think like, yeah, they, I may have lost today, but I'm not gonna tomorrow because now I've found something or now I'm gonna be better. And now I have a chance to really be the best that I can be, the potential I'll reach because of these things. And to me, it's just so enjoyable. You know, I tell people all the time, it's like going out, you know, with your buddies and stuff when you're young. That was never the funnest part. The funnest part was the anticipation of it. You know, the building, of, hey, we're going out tonight. You know, and so it's like, let's be over at seven. And it was like getting excited about that whole process. That was what was the exciting part. Hey, we're going on vacation. You know, vacation's fun, but it's always the anticipation of it, I always felt like. So sports the same, I've, I found something today. You mentioned throwing the ball into the couch, and I'd read that somewhere that, you know, every once in a while, at least in the past, when you'd come home from practice, you'd start throwing the football into the couch for like 20 minutes or so, and then, and then you'd jot down notes. What sorts of notes would you write down? Just feelings about, because uh, you may not have that same feeling three days later. And uh, you'd want to be able to get back. What was I feeling at that moment to make me feel that way, that it came off the right way? And um, I just want to be able to get right back into that mode. And these were all more, in some ways, when I was younger, the progression, because I was so raw at throwing a football. I wanted to mention a few things that people said about you. Uh, your high school, and this is just speaking to kind of your mentality, your high school football coach says you were so good at, quote, thinking on the move and making adjustments that you just couldn't coach. Your college football coach basically decided you were the right person for his team after coming to a basketball game that you were playing in and saying what really stuck out to you is, or to him was your vision. And maybe your best friend summed it up Best, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he said, you're not fast, you can't jump, you aren't overpowering, it's just your instincts. What, what does that mean? Uh, I just think I, you know, been given that gift to be able to recognize um, angles. I've been able to understand where people are. I could kind of see if you're starting to move in a certain direction, I can look away and process in two seconds where you'll be at. I guess you could say. Um, you know, sometimes it gets you in trouble because in football, I can do all that, but I can't block somebody on the right side. So all of a sudden now he gets, and so now it's a surprise. Now you have to at that moment 
process all that information and know where is it. So you try and do too much because you rely on that, if that makes sense. So you almost get the feeling of um, you can know exactly where everyone's at and do all these things. And so I have to throw all that back sometimes, but it's allowed me to get, when I was really raw, it allowed me to kind of have some ability at the playing the position. I really appreciate hey, thanks you liking Graham. the time. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to my interview with Tony Romo. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger and visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Graham Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.